0: Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hale. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Today is Westminster Wednesday, so we're taking a break from our regularly scheduled study of 1 Peter to look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the Confession of Faith of the Presbyterian Church in America. It's a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches. In, in whole, it's a summary of our theology. It doesn't replace the Bible by any stretch of the imagination, and, uh, but, but rather sits subservient to the Holy Word of God. We've made our way through the first two chapters dealing with the, the Word of God, which is where the confession starts, and dealing with God Himself and the Trinity. And now we're up to chapter three of God's Eternal Decree. We're going to look at the first paragraph of this incredibly rich and deep chapter. Before we uh, move on, we're going to think about one thing. As we think about God's eternal decrees, it's important for us to remember this sentence that Chad Van Dixhorn gives us in his commentary on the confession. He says, Certainly these are deep waters, and we admit that we only splash in the shallows of theology. A very helpful way, a very... Uh, succinct way, a very clever way of reminding us that what we're diving into here when we talk about the eternal decree of God, what we're diving into is, is something that we very quickly get well beyond what we can easily or concisely or with any you know grand confidence supply any detail for. Indeed, when we look at some of the ideas, even here in this first paragraph and how the, the framers of the confession worded things, we see that there is some tension in our theology. And that's okay. Any theology that doesn't have tension in it is, is, is a, a, a bad theology. It's an incomplete theology if we get rid of all the tension in in any theological system, then what we're doing is we're ignoring certain biblical truths. I, I like the confession of faith because it doesn't do that. So let's pray and then let's jump in to this section. Father, we recognize that as we think about your eternal decree, we can say what scripture says, but there is so much more to it that we are left to accept simply by faith, trusting that you are the sovereign, that you have this all figured out, and that we can, in fact, trust you. Would you give us faith to do that, we ask in Christ's name, and give us wisdom as we study. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3 of God's eternal decree, paragraph 1. God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, Freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby, neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. As we have already said, these are indeed deep waters, and they remain deep throughout this entire section of the Confession of Faith. Here we have these ideas right from the beginning. From all eternity, God has done something. That means from from before anything existed, besides God, he has decreed whatsoever comes to pass. If we take out those that first group of prepositional phrases, it would read this way. God from all eternity did ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Th- that we see throughout Scripture. Chiefly, we see it in the beginning words of the book of Ephesians. We see it also in Romans, but we see it all throughout the Old Testament as well, that that God is in control of all things. We see this play out in realities like the Abrahamic Covenant, where God tells them long before it would ever happen that they would in fact be enslaved for some 400 years in a land not their own. We see God presented as the one who has set everything in place and, and has done it, according to these prepositional phrases that we skipped, by the most wise and holy counsel. That is, by his wisdom and by his holy understanding he has done this. He has done this of his own will. He wasn't acted on by someone outside of him. He wasn't influenced, but he has set everything in place, ordained whatsoever comes to pass, according to his own will. And he has done this freely, again, not influenced or acted on by anybody outside of himself. And he has done this unchangeably. This puts to bed the heresy of open theism that somehow God changes and changes his will in response to us and in response to how creation unfolds. No, that's not what scripture teaches. God has ordained whatsoever comes to pass and he has done it unchangeably so that all things from all eternity are set in place. The rest of this paragraph gives some qualifications to this. Because we immediately see that when we look at prayer, for instance, it does seem that, well, we are called to pray. We are called to ask for God to direct us. We are called to ask him to change circumstances. And so how exactly does all of this work? We are held accountable for sin. How does all of this get put together? Well, here's where we push right up against the tension that I was talking about earlier that does, in fact, exist in any complete theology. The Westminster Divines offered these qualifiers to the reality that God did from all eternity ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby, and then they give three qualifiers, or as Chad Van Dixhorn calls them, three fences within which these realities live. First, neither is God the author of sin. Even though we can say that everything has happened according to God's will, even the crucifixion of Christ, even the enslavement of his people, yet we see that he, throughout Scripture, is not presented as the one responsible for sin, but that rests solely on us, the sinful creatures who act for our own self-interest, and act for our own pleasure, and act according to our own sinful flesh, and according to our own wills that are bound by our fallen nature, the responsibility is, again, laid on us. Of course, there's tension here. And, and, and we can't really say a lot more than what the confession lays out for us. The second fence or qualifier that we see is that God is also, uh, nor is violence offered to the will of creatures. In other words, he doesn't undo our will. He is simultaneously perfectly sovereign, has decreed from all eternity whatsoever comes to pass. He has ordained it, yet he hasn't removed our will. Oftentimes, in Reformed theology, and among particular Baptists, there is this idea that God is either sovereign or man has a free will. That is a a gross simplification, a gross oversimplification of the reality. The Bible actually does present us as having a free will, and in fact, there's an entire chapter in the Confession on the free will of man. See, the issue that we face isn't whether or not man has free will. The issue is what is our will bound by? And our will is bound by our nature. So in saying and affirming that from all eternity, God ordained whatsoever comes to pass, we're not denying the reality of man's will. That's not what God's ordaining everything isn't what limits man's will. It is our sinful nature. So he hasn't done violence to the will of the creatures. The final qualifier is nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. This idea that is used here or presented here using this philosophical language, this idea of second causes uh, establishes that that what we do matters. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And yes, we affirm that what we do matters. So that if the church fails to share the gospel, if the church fails to do what she is called to do, if I fail to feed myself or feed my children, there will be real consequences to all of those actions. God has ordained the end, but he has ordained the means as well. And so the reality that what we do matters, though we are not the sovereign, that's not removed by declaring that God is sovereign. Rather, that reality is established by declaring that God is sovereign, that he has, in fact, ordained whatsoever comes to pass. Now here's the the devotional aspect to this. As we've been working our way through 1 Peter, we've been reminded again and again that God is in control of all suffering, that we can trust him in the midst of suffering, that we can continue entrusting ourselves to him as our loving father while we continue to do good. We we can cling to those truths that are presented in 1 Peter because this picture that we have of God in the third chapter, first paragraph of the Westminster Confession of Faith is true. We can trust God in the face of suffering. We can trust God with our life. We can know that his will is being done because from all eternity, he did ordain whatsoever comes to pass and he did this of his own will. He did this for his purposes. So far from making us robots or something of the sort, this paragraph of the confession teaches us how totally we can trust God. Might we continue to learn to do that? Amen. (laughs)